Oh, hello, people in podcast land. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Jeremy McDermott. He's an investigative reporter and the director of Insight Crime. We are talking about how you hunt an invisible drug lord. Modern drug lords in South America learned that anonymity is a better defense than a well-armed militia. Jeremy has spent the last decade of his life chasing one of the most notorious members of The Invisibles, Memo Phantasma, otherwise known as The Ghost. Today, expect to learn how the Vice President of Colombia was implicated in a drug lord's operations, how The Ghost deleted his entire identity, why Jeremy turned up on a kingpin's doorstep in Madrid, why the DEA probably had Memo on their payroll, and much more. This story is one of the most mental things that I've ever heard in my life. I can't believe that it's not already a movie. That If you enjoy tales about organized crime and political backbiting and financial institutions and corruption, this is so for you. That just sit back and enjoy. You don't need to remember anything. There's no hacks to take away. There's no self-development. It's just an awesome tale told by someone with a beautiful British accent and a ton of experience. If you enjoy the episode, the best thing that you can do is share it with a friend. The only way that this show grows is from people like you sharing it with people like you. And if you do it, it'd make me very happy. It was hard to find someone as interesting as Jeremy. German, Jeremy. It was hard to find someone whose name I could pronounce as badly as Jeremy's. So just share it with a friend. It would make me very, very pleased. I thank you. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite, and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. But now it's time to hunt an invisible drug lord with Jeremy McDermott. Jeremy McDermott, welcome to the show. Many thanks. Glad to be here. Pleasure to have you here. Are you being sued by a drug lord? I am, unfortunately, in criminal court. Um, and if convicted, face up to five years in prison um, and a hefty fine. Um, and I won't be allowed to continue my work as a journalist so long as I am still under sentence. That seems like an intense position to be in. Uh, it's an unusual position to be in, in the sense that um, we get sued a lot, but I've never been sued by a drug trafficker who's actually been named, but not yet convicted, nor indeed been arrested. So, um, yeah, strange position to be in, um, but we're still um, we're still plowing on. What are the Invisibles? The Invisibles, Chris, is a name we um, we've been giving to drug traffickers here in Latin America, particularly in Colombia, where where I where I live, um, that decided a while back that their best protection was not a private army, but was being anonymous, simply not being on anybody's radar, and. You know, if you if you have a look at the, the Colombian drug world going back to Pablo Escobar, you know, he had his army of sicarios. And then after Pablo Escobar, we have the paramilitaries and they end up demobilizing more than 30,000 heavily armed fighters. Then, of course, we've got the Marxist guerrillas. So there is a tradition of extreme violence, very, very heavily armed 
cartel structures um, in Colombia and still today in Mexico. And the um, this generation or this group of drug traffickers realized that uh, they would left, leave Pablo Escobar to take all the heat. Um, and Memo Fantasma actually started his career in the Medellin cartel. So he goes all the way back. He's been he's been in the business for 30 years. Um, and so he's been quietly moving, we think, anything up to 100 tons of cocaine over the last um, three decades, um, living in the shadows, um, living under Pablo Escobar and then after the paramilitaries, um, always operate, operating um, initially in and out of Medellin um, and simply been able to do his business without appearing on uh, on certainly the public's radar, although he was on the U.S. radar and Colombian police radar, but he was an informant for the DEA, and that seems to have protected him. It doesn't surprise me that it's become a better strategy for drug lords to not be wearing a floral shirt and a gold embossed AK-47 and riding around in the back of open back trucks and building their own jails and stuff like this. Every time that you speak to someone about the new top 100 richest people on the planet, everybody says, yeah, yeah, but those are the ones whose money we know about. There's got to be some seedy underworld crime bosses or some Arab prince that's hidden all of his money away. There has to be some of them that also has it. So I guess, you know, even to someone that's uh, an uninitiate, the crime world it makes sense right that someone would do that that they wouldn't be quite so flash that being unseen via stealth as opposed to untouchable via aggression is perhaps an even better strategy i think also chris the the, the way to think about it is um a drug trafficker usually starts at the coal face um, and the coal face in the drug world is is your crocodile boots, is your gold chain, is your pistol stuffed down your trousers. Um, and of course, it's, this is a very violent, unpredictable world. Um, and so as you advance, you probably want to get further and further away from the coal face. Um, and the other thing, and this is particularly the case with Memo Fantasma, is when you earn an enormous amount of money, that provides different challenges. Um, you have to be able to hide that money. You have to be able to spend that money. And so um, when, when I speak to uh, people that knew Memo Fantasma when he was young and starting in the coalface, and those that saw the evolution of Memo Fantasma, they said that you know quite quickly, after, after about six or seven years, um, he is beginning to wear suits um, and he had a penchant for European clothing. Um, and uh, he decided that he didn't want to be in the coca fields. He didn't want to be in the drug labs. Um, he wanted to be uh, in the United States, in Spain, making the deals. Um, and that uh, when people who had known him early met him later, they, it was hard to recognize him. Um, so yes, you can see from a business point of view, it makes perfect sense from a drug trafficking point of view, it makes perfect sense. And perhaps the key thing I think is from a survival point of view, it makes perfect sense. You want to get away from the coal face of drug trafficking, the guns blazing, um, the, uh, uh, the extreme violence and narco culture, and you want to be sitting in a penthouse in Madrid um, rather than a coca field in Colombia, don't you? Who is this Memo Fantasma guy then? What's his story? Okay. His real name is Guillermo Acevedo. Uh, and I came across him, or I came across an alias of his back in 2005, um, where... The Colombian government is negotiating with this right-wing paramilitary army. They end up demobilizing 30,000 guys. This was probably the most powerful cartel ever on the planet. 
um, and they controlled most of drug trafficking. Uh, the government was was negotiating with them, and they all had different aliases, and they were signing different documents as they as they moved towards a peace process. And I was looking through uh, the signatories at one of the bottom of these documents, and there was a name I didn't recognize, and I'd met most of these guys over the years. Um, and it was Sebastian Colmenares. And so I'm going, okay, who is who is Sebastian Colmenares? Um, and uh, he never appeared when it, when it was time to demobilize. Uh, and the name stuck with me and I was never able to make any progress. So I sort of put that on the back burner um, and um, rather rebuked myself for not, for not uh, making any serious investigative progress. And then I'd also heard of a drug trafficker kicking around Medellin, where I've been living for more than 20 years, called Memo Fantasma, which is Will the Ghost, if you like. Um, and again, you know, I'd heard, a, you know, his name kept popping up, but I'd never been able to to, to, to find out who he was. Um, and it was a bit frustrating. And again, it just kind of went onto the back burner. There's a, there are dozens and dozens of these names that you you never really, really are able to get to grips with. Uh, and then in 2015, there's a newspaper article that suggests Sebastian Colmenares and Memo Fantasma are the same guy. And so I get very excited. Um, you know, there are two names that have been gathering dust on the shelves and they both appear to be the same guy. And so I go, OK, enough. We, we need to get to the bottom of this um, because this guy's been kicking around. Memo Fantasma, I'd heard, had been had been since the days of Pablo Escobar and Sebastian Colmenares had been sitting at the top table with these paramilitary drug lords. Um, and so began the investigation. Um, and the perhaps the most alarming thing, Chris, in this world, when you investigate organized crime, you rely very heavily on security force sources, you know, law enforcement. Um, and, you know, got a great relationship with the DEA. Um, same with the British NCA, you know, the Italians and, of course, the Colombians, because um, I've been here for so long. Nobody would help me with this guy. Um, and so the alarm bells went off. Um, and uh, in the end, it was a source, uh, an underworld source uh, that uh, was able to give me uh, several things. One was. Yes, it's the same person. Yes, he exists. And if you go to this reality TV show, going back a while, you're going to get, you're going to see him. Um, uh, and as soon as I have an image, then I could go around all my sources and go, okay, is this the guy you know as Memo Fantasma? And that's what happens on the reality show. Um, it's one of those where they, they put up embarrassing situations and they see how people react. And this situation is in a is in a cafe in Bogota where a, a man begins to mistreat uh, the woman he's with. And so the camera is panning to, you know, how people are going to react to this 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 show of, of, of you know, domestic violence or whatever. Uh, and it pans to a chap who's sitting there with two others drinking a cup of coffee who looks across seems totally uninterested and goes back to his conversation. Um, and this was Guillermo Acevedo, Memo Fantasma. And what happened during this very popular show was a group of paramilitaries in prison went, hey, that's Memo Fantasma. Uh, and this message came to me. Um, and so I had a photo. And so um, the investigation really took, took, uh, took a life of its own. Before you had that photo, what happened when you went to your sources? What were they saying to you? They said to me, yeah, we've all heard of Memo Fantasma. Yes, of course, there was this guy called Sebastian Colmenares. Yes, Memo Fantasma was a senior drug trafficker in the Medellin cartel. Yes, Sebastian Colmenares was a big heavy hitter in the paramilitary world. But then I go, well, then how do I find him? And they go, well, I don't know. Um, I can tell you he was a small, rather uninteresting looking guy. Um, we didn't know what his real name was. Um, but, you know, I can tell you everything about his criminal career that we saw. But of course, it didn't help me find the guy and get a real name. So part of the issue was that he had hidden his own history and was so um, unbecoming that 
people couldn't really remember him or, or give you much information, but I imagine as well that there were other people who might have known a little bit more and knew just how dangerous this guy was. So it was a combination of ignorance and fear. On top of that, he was very clever um, in the sense that he never allowed any photos to be taken of himself. Um, you Apart know, drug from being in the background of a yeah. reality TV show broadcast well, on yeah, national which, television. Which, yeah. which, of course, he didn't know he was going to be on. You know, it was one of the hidden camera ones. He should have sued um, them. Forget suing you. Memo, did. if you're listening, if you didn't sign a release form, my friend, get them he sued. He did. <laughs> he did try to sue them. And you now can't find it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, he he took your advice, um, but no memo. What he did was he was never in any of the photos, and you know the paramilitaries like to dress up in uniform when they all posed with their guns, um, and he was never there. He was never there. The other thing is, um, uh, and during my interviews with the people who have come across him, um, he's apparently a pretty scary dude. Uh, in the sense that he is prepared to use surgical violence to eliminate rivals and anybody who um, threatens his business. So uh, he's quiet, but extremely ruthless. Um, and even today, um, now that he's been exposed and you know he's been named by the Colombian Attorney General's office, the fact that he is still free uh, reinforces the terror that he has held um, and everyone believes, including myself, that he has very senior people on the payroll in the police force uh, and in the attorney general's office and perhaps in the political world um, as one of the um, uh, one of the big detonators for this story uh, was that I named the Colombian vice president as a um, partner in one of his money laundering businesses. And she also sued me using exactly the same legal tool that Memo Fantasma is using today. But under international pressure, she dropped the case. How did Memo get so high up in the cartel? Did you find that out? Yes. Um, he uh, developed... Um, links with Mexican cartels, um, he, uh, as part of his paramilitary expansion, uh, he took a very important part of Colombia um, through blood and massacre, um, uh, which had uh, along the Pacific coast, which is a perfect departure point for drug shipments. Um, he was one of the innovators in using drug submarines. Um, and he also diversified um, the market. So while everybody in Colombia was moving stuff to Mexico, he was still moving stuff to Mexico and he was in bed with the Beltran Leyva um, cartel. But, uh, for example, in the uh, Olympics held in Sydney, um, he moved a huge consignment of drugs to to a time with the opening of the Olympics. Um, he had uh, he made alliances with some uh, with a top Spanish drug trafficker. And so he's moving um, drugs all around the world, uh, and he he controls the most important thing in the drug trafficking world, which are the routes. Because the money, Chris, is not made in the production of drugs. So the guy who who you know who harvests the coca and and then runs the cocaine laboratory, sure, great business. Um, and even the one that's in in New York or in London, selling the drugs. Again, great business. So the percentage for the drug production guys is 150%, which in any business world, great. If you're in the retail end of the business, you're probably making 300% profit. Again, brilliant. But if you're the guy that takes the kilo of cocaine from Colombia and drops it into Sydney, you are making 3,000% profit. And so this is where the real money is. This is where the huge profits are. So anyone who controls the routes, everybody wants to do business with him. And that was Memo Fantasma. Wasn't there a situation where he, someone died high up in a cartel and he was just left with loads of drugs? Wasn't this kind of this his is, come to power well, moment? Well, this is... This is um, um, this is part of the, the urban myth. Um, uh, I think it's true. And I've got some sources said it was true, but other sources say no. So I'm not going to put my hand in the fire for this one. But the story is that um, 
uh, he is in the United States, having just received a shipment of cocaine from the Medellin cartel, when Pablo Escobar is killed um, on a Medellin rooftop. Um, so uh, the Medellin cartel goes into meltdown. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. And he is sitting on a very large shipment of cocaine. He sells it. And of course, he doesn't know who to push the money back up to because there's chaos. The Medellin cartel is in chaos. So he just keeps the money. Well, when you're he fighting for leadership, you're not calling in your debtors quite exactly. so much, right? And also, I think that um, uh, so much of this stuff is in people's heads that when people get killed, all record of their business dealings gets lost as well. Yeah, QuickBooks.com so, doesn't have a backup. Of, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, um, uh, uh, so he returns to Colombia with a pile of cash. And this we do know, we have it confirmed. He sets up his first small company and he sets up his own drug laboratory um, about four miles north of Medellin. And he starts processing his cocaine and using his Mexican and US contacts to go into business for himself. Why are you living where you're living, given what you're doing for work? <laughs> like you're just talking about four miles away from this place, and then you're happily living in that region for two decades. Um, well, first of all, it's absolutely beautiful part of the world, Colombia. Um, breathtakingly beautiful. Um, the people are, are, you know, those that aren't trying to sue you um, are absolutely lovely. Um, and, uh, I think for us, particularly those of us from a, from a European background where, uh, you know, people moan about mortgage rates and the weather, uh, living in a place where they have real problems and still seem to have way more fun than us. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's been for me a very rewarding life. Uh, does it have, of course, its downsides and, uh, living in in a in a less developed world in a world where there is enormous amounts of violence, of course. But should, do uh, you not have personal security concerns? I mean, are you constantly walking around with an armed guard or something? No, absolutely not. I mean, yes, I have the personal security concerns, um, but I'm not walking around with the armed guard. Um, we have moved our kids out of out of Colombia with the the, the most um, recent uh, raft of threats. Um, what were they? You have to. This was linked with Memo, and my wife is a journalist as well, and she had received separate threats for... Oh, fantastic. For, 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 okay, for, so for you're, you're, you're getting pincer, a pincer movement. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Fantastic. Um, but you, um, I guess you have to make a decision. Either you pack up and go and do something else, or you you stick with it, and we've, we've decided to, to stick with it. Um, and also, I think, Chris, without, without you know, beating one's chest or anything... This guy can't get away with it. He cannot sue a journalist who has proven uh, not only his existence, but his criminal record and get away with it. I mean, you just you can't you can't you can't back down in that. Um, and one has to point out to the Colombian judicial system the irony of them not issuing an arrest warrant for Memo Fantasma, someone who's already been identified by the attorney general, and they've seized two of his properties as well. So it's not like there isn't a case there. Um, and then the same justice system, which is seeing him walking free, being used against a journalist to attempt to silence him. So, um, yeah, can't, that, that, that will not stand, Chris. That will not stand. All right, so how did he get rid of his history? Because everyone is born somewhere, everyone has a history yeah. when they come into this world. Okay, um, he got rid of his uh, initial judicial history by bribing two um, fiscales who are prosecutors in the prosecution service of the Attorney General's office. We have their names. I haven't published them yet because... Um, not ready for another couple of lawsuits. And these two one are at a time, now... Jeremy, one, yeah, exactly. one at a time, okay. You know, baby steps, baby steps for this. Um, they are now both very successful defense lawyers. Um, so 
if we take them on, um, I'm going to have to be ready. And my lawyer um, has gone, God, do we really have to do that right now? So we're not doing that right now. Um, and so these two were in the uh, anti-narcotics section of the attorney general's office. And so they were able to bury his cases. Then he had two judicial policemen um, uh, also on the payroll who were also able to bury or um, uh, mislead various different investigations around him. Um, And then uh, he started being an informant for the DEA, which sealed the two indictments he has in the United States that I have not been able to get at. Um, I have the name of his DEA agent. I have the name of the uh, prosecutor that put the two cases against him. Um, Neither have uh, engaged with me, despite me ambushing them on various different um, social media and emails. Um, And I understand why, you know, it's sealed indictments and et cetera, et cetera. It's a bit frustrating. Um, And then what he did was somehow, um, as part of this this paramilitary peace process I mentioned before, um, uh, Chris, they got a sweetheart deal whereby all these paramilitary drug lords, if they if they cooperated with the with the justice system, got minimal sentences, eight years, no matter what they've done. Um, and during this process, Memo's name came up several times, and his real name was mentioned. Um, and I didn't know this. Um, but what I did do is what I put a, a, an official freedom of information request to to this, this is called peace and justice. Um, and I got the the information they had. And then when we went through and we listened to hundreds of hours of interviews, we went, this, his name's mentioned here. This guy says his name, but it's not registered anywhere, which leads us to suspect that he had someone in peace and justice who also manipulated and buried testimony. So this guy has been everywhere. Clinical. He's been everywhere. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. He's been everywhere uh, and he's managed to, to, to wipe the footsteps, which they were there. It's just no one was looking. And even if you started looking, they were so well buried that you had to listen to hundreds and hundreds of hours and go through hundreds and hundreds of documents to find the nugget that you needed. So he's not just got political contacts in Colombia. He's also working with the DEA, which is America, and mm-hmm. peace and justice. Well, the peace and justice is part of the Colombian justice system. He's okay. no longer working with the DEA, but he was. Yeah. He was. Um, and his DEA agent actually retired um, two weeks ago. Um, so, uh, But what I do know is that when I went to confront Memo in Madrid, um, he immediately contacted the DEA to go, what do I do? Um, this guy has just appeared on my doorstep. Okay, so how did he stay out of jail during his period of running drugs? Um, well, one, by ensuring that no investigation uh, uh, was opened against him um, or by uh, um, diverting um, or manipulating those. So um, it was only in the U.S. that they got to the point of an indictment. They never in Colombia got to a point of an indictment. Um, and then the U.S. authorities buried the indictment because they wanted him out there. And they flipped him and yeah. turned him into a source. And I don't think they flipped him. I think he offered um, I think he's that smart that he saw that the way to um, uh, to remain invisible and to stay out of prison was to offer his services to the one agency that is quite hard to bribe uh, um, and that you can't mess with their paperwork. Uh, it's not like you can go into the U.S., uh, attorney general's office and start burying, manipulating and, and amending files. 
So I think he made a conscious decision. Um, the other thing that's quite extraordinary about him is um, most of the guys who have flipped um, still have to spend some time in prison. It may be a laughable sentence, um, particularly when one looks at the crimes they've committed, but they, they do spend anything from, you know, three to 10 years in, in, in an American prison. Memo has not spent a minute in prison. And that is either a testament to the information he delivered or a testament to the fact that he knows how to play the system. And I think it's a bit of both. Mm. So he must have been contacted at some point by the DEA. I mean, I, I no matter how much foresight this guy has, I can't imagine that he's just rung up and said, hi, is this the DEA? Uh, yeah, by the way, you're probably looking for me. So they've perhaps contacted him and he's precluded. No, I think he... Uh, he's uh, reached out it, to them? Yeah, he's reached out to them. And it's actually very easy to do because there are... Become an uh, informant.com or something. No, there are dozens <laughs> of American lawyers who specialize in this, which is defending Colombian drug traffickers. So what you do is one of your mates has been extradited or got an arrest warrant uh, and you go, oh, which American lawyer are you going to use? And you go, oh, I'm going to use oh, this one. And then he goes, all right, well, can you use that one who's already negotiating with the DEA to try to get a plea deal? Can you say, oi, do you fancy a chat with me? Got you, got you, got you, got you. How much was he worth at the peak of his um, wealth? I don't know whether the peak of his wealth is now or whether it was back in the day. Well, um, I can tell you what we found, which is probably a tithe of what he really has. Um, it's between 20 and $30 million. So uh, I would suspect that we're not that good, and he's probably worth well over $100 million. Not a bad day's work. I mean, crime pays, Chris. Can I just you know, say that? In his case, crime has paid, at least so far. Um, but um, we're not going to give up. We're, um, we're about to publish a new um, series of articles on him. What happened after the first raft of articles was um, underworld sources just came forward. So the day after publication on Twitter, I got a, like a 12-page document um, sent to me, which basically had all memos, family tree. And at the bottom, it said, if you fancy a chat, you know, I'm here and I read all this. And I was like, yeah, I fancy a chat. Um, and uh, with this particular source, I've now registered 80 hours of interviews. Um, I met um, I met him uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he worked with Memo for 13 years. So, um, uh, you know, we've got some really great stuff. The problem always with this, Chris, is. All these guys are criminals and you can't trust a word that comes out of their mouths. So you have to verify it. And that has been a long and exhaustive process because I've had no help from police or law enforcement. I've had to verify and I am having to verify it with other underworld sources. And so when three underworld sources say the same thing and they're not connected, you go, well, actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to go with that. Probably and this correct, particular yeah. source, yeah, and this source, over the 80 hours, I haven't caught him in a single lie yet. Um, so he seems to be he seems to be the real deal. This is only going to be part one in that case. Oh, we've part got a... one has been published. This is going to be part two. Okay, yeah, so we've and, got to, um, I mean, to the podcast. We're going to get, get ourselves up oh, to I the see, stage right. of where we're at with, with these articles. And then when the next part comes out, there can be the, the difficult sequel. Absolutely, I hope so. And then I'm hoping that the last one, Chris, will be my final interview with Memo from his prison cell. Okay, fantastic. Um, okay, so going back, how did you get onto his trail more seriously? You've got his photo from the background of Ashton Kutcher doing a punked episode or whatever it is, yep. and yep. then Colombian Ashton Kutcher, and then you go right, okay, I have his image. I can show it to people. People can say yes, that is him. Yeah. But I mean that that doesn't mean much more no, either, does it? We we found his real name in these files from Peace and Justice. You know, one of his partners in the paramilitary army says his name. 
And the name that I was given that they had for him was a was a false alias, was an alias that he used in the paramilitaries. So actually, that was a dead end to begin with. But then when we went through all of the all of the the transcripts and we heard it, then we find another name. Um, uh, and uh, it, with that name, we are able to start following a money trail. So there's stuff. There were businesses that were associated with Memo Fantasma, in, particularly in the airport in Medellin. He had a hangar there. Um, and we've been told by so many different sources, oh, Memo was the owner of that. But I'm going, I haven't got a name. And, you know, I can't go through every single hangar and find out if that's Memo Fantasma. But then we got this name from the paramilitary peace process. And once you've got a name and you've got the, the companies, um, we got his ID card from the Chamber of Commerce. Because, you know, when you register a company, you have to put your ID in there. So they, he had to scan his ID card. And that was it. We had him dead to rights after that, because then we find he's got a legal company. Um, we follow the legal company because, of course, the more and more successful you become as a drug trafficker, the less and less you put under your name for obvious reasons. Um, and so what we did is we find his legal company, we find the names of his relatives, his wife, who's up to her neck in it as well. Um, and then we start following those names. And so suddenly the business begins to move further and further and further. And this is where we found um, his mum had bought a series of properties in the most expensive part of Bogota. So these were old houses uh, in a neighborhood in the north of Bogota. He uses um, his mum and another couple of companies to buy almost an entire city block. He then goes to the husband of the now vice president of Colombia, who is a um, construction magnet, goes, um, hey, you should, you know, I'm now sitting on some of the most prime real estate in Bogota. Do you fancy putting up a, um, a development here? And of course he goes, God, yeah. Um, and they build what is called as Tower 85, because it's on the 85 block of, of Bogotá. It's an emblematic development, huge. Um, and, uh, and so Memo Fantasma gets into bed with Alvaro Rincón, who is the vice president's husband. Um, and the other, well, the major shareholder of that company, Itus Urbanos, was the current vice president. And of course, the question is, did she or did she not know who she was getting into bed with. Um, and anyway, I spoke to her. I interviewed her as part of the process. I interviewed her husband as part of the process. He said, yeah, we did the business deal with him, which they couldn't deny because I had all the papers. Um, but they said we had no idea. He was a drug trafficker. He had no arrest warrant, which he didn't. Um, and uh, so, you know, oh, you know, why are you accusing us of irregular activity? Um, to which, of course, I replied, so this guy comes in off the street. Um, he's not from um, uh, Bogota. He's from Medellin. Um, and uh, this is the late 1990s in Colombia. Um, you don't think to do any due diligence on him. And so they say, yes, we did. And we rang the chief of police um, to check if this guy had any record. So I spoke to the chief of police. And he said, I don't remember that, but it could have happened. So he was he really hedged himself. He said, people are always ringing me to check. And yeah, of course, I'm sure she could have done because she was then the defense minister. Um, so, you know, probably. Um, but uh, it, it didn't it doesn't smell right to me. And um, uh, uh, something happened. But Memo not only does this amazing development, but he gets his children into the Eton of Bogota or the Eton of Colombia. But his children go to the top school in the country where there's a list, where there's a line going around the block to get into the school. Somehow an outsider um, gets into the school. Uh, apparently someone wrote a letter on his behalf. And that person might have been the Colombian vice president, because if you're going to get into the Eton of Colombia, you probably need a reference from someone like that. Wow. Um, so he suddenly is driving around Bogota 
like a businessman in his European suits. Legit. Um, legit with his daughter. Um, his daughter's uh, in this exclusive school. One of his daughters now international um, show jumper. Um, of course you she know, is. represents. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, living in you know the richest part of the city, and he's clean. But Chris, he disappears to Madrid in 2015, which is when I find that when that article is published, which I said, which article is the first one, which 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 says that Memo Fantasma and Sebastian Colmenares are the same person, and I don't find that a coincidence. Um, you know, this article is published by a Spanish, by a Colombian newspaper, saying, "Look at this guy." Um, you know, he's he's these two people, but they don't have a name. Well, they do have a name, and it's the wrong name because it's the name that he planted. But he knows that someone's now looking for him. And so he disappears off and sets up um, a multi-million euro business in Madrid, moves his family there, puts them into a really good school in Madrid, um, has a lovely flat in the center of Madrid and a lovely house on the outskirts of Madrid. And he's living the life until I arrive and knock on the door. He's now sold um, all his Spanish properties um, and he's back in Bogota. Wow. So talk me through flying out to Madrid and how you find where he is and then you end up giving him a, a casual okay. chat. Yeah. Well, I didn't, he wouldn't see me. What, what I did was, um, I stake out, uh, I've got two addresses cause we follow the money and we see that this company, he sets up two companies in Madrid, um, under his name. So, you know, I'm able to follow the companies and we're able to see what resources he bought through those companies. So he's bought this flat, he's bought this house, he's got a, um, a Land Rover, he's got a BMW motorbike. So we've got all this stuff. Um, but again, he's so clever. Um, the apartment uh, has a, um, a porter downstairs, so you can't doorstep. And the apartment has got two exits. One is the car exit and one is the, the foot exit. And you can't cover them both at once, at least not if you're a poor journalist with just you. Um, and then the house is in one of those closed neighborhoods. You know, uh, apparently there's lots of um, Real Madrid and all these other, you know, it's, it's a very popular closed neighborhood for those who don't want to be photographed. Um, and so I can't ambush him there. Um, and so uh, uh, I create a ruckus by going, well, I go to the apartment and to the house and, um, uh, and he's, he's in the house, I think, when I call because the, the, the guard says there's a guy here wants to speak to, to Senor Guillermo and I can hear a male voice through the, 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 the intercom. Um, and then the, the, the guard goes, oh, no, he's not at home. Um, but then I go to the, his lawyer's office because, again, the company has the lawyer. Um, and so I go to the lawyer's office um, and I say, look, I, I'd like to leave a message for Guillermo Acevedo. And they go, sure. Um, uh, and then I say, you know, would it be possible for, for you to give him a call? Because it's really quite urgent. And just, just let him know that I'm here um, and see if he wants to speak to me. And so they call. And then they come back into the room and the, everything is completely changed. You need to leave now. Um, we don't work for Guillermo Acevedo. We're not taking any, any uh, message for him. And so I then start screaming, um, you know, this company works for terrorists and drug traffickers. Is that what you do? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to write an article on you guys. Are you facilitators for the underworld? Um, and I get thrown out. Um, but the point is, of course, that he now knows that I'm here. I've now created a scene at his lawyers and the lawyers obviously didn't know. Um, and so he rings me. And he goes, you know, what the hell is going on? How dare you create all this thing? Did you threaten the lawyers? How dare you threaten lawyers? And I said, well, actually, I was here to threaten you, not the lawyers. Um, and so we have this conversation for 22 minutes where um, 
he uh, seeks to persuade me that he's not Sebastián Colmenares or Memo Fantasma, um, and that I'm some poor gringo um, foreign uh, uh, journalist who's been led astray by various underworld sources. Um, but through the conversation, I am mentioning the names and aliases of underworld figures that no one should know, and he clearly knows. Because he never questions me once as to who the hell is Don Berna or who the hell is. Um, and so at the end of it, he's obviously flatly denied that he is Memo Fantasma. Um, but uh, he has convinced me beyond belief, uh, any kind of doubt that he is, he is um, Memo Fantasma. Uh, but he still thinks he can persuade me. So um, he says, I'll contact you by email and I will answer any questions you have. But he never did. He did contact me by email, but he never answered any questions. And then what I kept doing to try and provoke response is I would send him a, an email going, is it true that you were involved in the killing of, of Julio Fierro? And he would write back, that's outrageous. I'm not a, you know, I never involved in killing anyone, which was enough for me to keep, you know, getting uh, something which we used in the, in the articles. Um, and, uh, and then there we are. He's won. He's still out there, and um, and uh, he is still um, enjoying his fortune. Okay, so how did you come to be sued by the vice president of Colombia? Okay, well, after the publication of the articles, when was that? Last year. That was March last year. Yeah. Was it March last year? Yeah. Um, uh, there's a you know it's on the front page of all the newspapers in Colombia um, and. Uh, She's called um, by every radio and TV program to to uh, uh, to explain. Um, and so she sends me uh, via a lawyer a cease and desist. Um, and then you must rectify, um, which I refuse to do. I said, I'm not going to change a comma in this. Everything is stood up. There is all the documentation, which is included in the articles, if you see. Um, and so I refuse. Um, and so uh, Colombia is one of the few nations on earth which has criminal libel, because most, most cases are just civil libel, whereby if I call Chris Williamson an idiot and say, you know, he's a drug trafficker, you can prove you're not a drug trafficker, and then I have to pay you um, a, a fine because I have libeled you. Well, in Colombia, they have criminal libel. They also have the civil libel. There's criminal libel, which is this person has, with criminal intent, set out to blacken my name. Um, and therefore, it's criminal charge, and it comes with a criminal sentence, which is up to 72 months in prison, which is five years. Now, the reason that everybody, all the bad guys, use the criminal libel is not only because it comes with a prison sentence, but they don't have to prove that it's a lie. So... If if they if Memo or the vice president had sued me in civil court to say you're you're lying to me, I would go prove it. Here's the stuff I've said. Prove it's not true, which they can't do because I've got all the documentary evidence. But in the criminal case, they don't. What do they have to prove? They don't have to prove anything. They so what's, just so what's the to, point of having the criminal libel? Because what it does is it passes it to the attorney general's office. And the attorney general's office has to investigate it because it's a criminal report. Now, the attorney general now has to decide whether there is a criminal case to answer. And then it goes to trial or it doesn't go to trial. The thing that we are worried about, or I am worried about, is it is going to go to trial because he has some people in the attorney general's office. However, I do not believe that Colombia wants to imprison a British journalist um, uh, who has investigated, who is being sued by a Colombian drug trafficker who's already been identified by the attorney general, because that is a public relations nightmare for Colombia. But that doesn't mean that the judicial process cannot go, go forward. Um, my aim is obviously to make it as high profile as possible so that they can't do any manipulation of 
evidence and case. Or if they do, I can go screaming, you know, how can I, what, what crime have I committed? Um, so that's, that's where we are. Am I worried about spending five years in prison? I'm not. Am I worried about it going to court? I am. Um, and uh, is he trying to, um, is he hoping that it's going to cost me so much money that I will, you know, back away? Um, he maybe he is, but now um, uh, I have pro bono lawyers now who have taken on the case because um, they think it's as outrageous as I do. So he's not going to be able to outspend me either. So It's difficult and, to outspend someone that's getting stuff for free. Exactly. Um, although I think there will come a point where my pro bono lawyers might go, you know what, we just thought this was on for a bit of a laugh. We didn't realize, you know, three years later that we're still having to defend you. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. And of course, um, we're going to continue publishing. And so I think the next round of articles, which are pretty damning uh, and has got have got so much detail from these these inside sources, um, are going to do one of two things. Um, the first is the Colombian attorney general's office is going to be so embarrassed um, that they're actually going to issue an arrest warrant, which is what I'm hoping is going to happen, um, or he's going to go on the run again. Because um, at the moment he's living, um, as we say in Spanish, como Pedro en su casa, like Peter in his house. I thought you um, said he came complete. back to Bogota. Yeah, he's in Bogota. He's oh, in okay. his house in Bogota, yeah. Okay. That's right. where he left to Spain. He was living in Bogota, as I told you, you yeah. know, in the top school. And, yeah, in the and top then he's gone to Spain. So why come back to Bogota? Because we were speaking to the Guardia Civil in Spain when we were looking on information for him. And he doesn't uh, have as the, many people in there. He doesn't think he's he quite as protected in Spain. He doesn't have And the Guardia Civil wanted his money because um, they wanted to freeze his accounts um, because there was, you know, at least 11 million euros in there. And they thought, we'll have a bit of that. Um, but again, the Columbia, they needed documentation from the Colombian attorney general's office, which they didn't get. Why didn't they get it? They made an official request. But Memo knows somehow about it all. He's flogged everything, it seems, and he's left. And pulled all of his money out. All of his euros and are gone. And pulled all of his money out. And now the Guardia Civil, uh, you know, I spoke to my contact a few months back and he said, yeah, the flat's sold, the house is on the market and he's gone. No money for and you, I, Spanish people. And then, yeah, and then I found he was in, he was in uh, Bogota and then he came to Medellin. His mum lives um, about uh, 800 metres from my house in Medellin. Um, I can't, and, sorry, I need, Jeremy, what do you, why, <laughs> I can't wrap my head around the fact that this is superstar, underworld, invisible drug lord, lawsuits, someone that's, by your own definition, criminally insane. He's killing oh, people he's with... Criminally sane. Criminally sane. Okay, sane. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's killing people <laughs> yeah. with surgical precision. Obviously, very little um, recourse or fear about doing anything to anyone. And you live 800 meters from his mum. He's in the same place. I just can't get my head around how... I mean, I, you've said, am I worried about going to jail? No. Am I worried about going to court slightly? At no point have you said, worried about perhaps being killed. Yeah, and, and I had a, a long chat with a couple of underworld sources about whether he would be the sort of chap who would, 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 would go down that route. And one source said, yeah, you'll probably have an accident. Someone will try to rob you, except they're not really there to rob you, and you'll get killed in the attempt. Um, and that's how it will happen. Um, but then uh, another, all the others, including this source, said no. He's not that stupid because he knows that once you kill an international journalist, that everybody's going to run for cover. Your DEA guys will run for cover. Your political protection will run for cover. Um, and there'll they'll be no way. And also, Chris, he's not going to sue me and kill me. I really think that's a one or the other situation here, you know. And so I should be slightly relieved that he's suing me, I guess. <laughs> the vice president what was the comeuppance of the criminal case by her she just dropped it but then didn't she step down as well no she didn't oh so she's still in office oh yeah and she's the foreign minister as well 
And she may be running for the presidency next year, but probably not now. Because of what you've... I mean, in part. Fly in the ointment. It's it's all my own work, but it's not. No, no, she's been involved in a series of scandals. Um, Her brother was convicted of drug trafficking. Um, And uh, and, yeah, there's all sorts of other stuff. And she's not been a particularly competent um, vice president. So, so, yeah. She's busy. Um, She's got lots of other stuff to do. You can't, well, you can't you know, run a, a facilitate a criminal underworld and repurpose real estate in the heart of a big city to, if you've got a job to do sorting out politics. It gets in the to, way. To, to be fair to her, um, and I, I should be, um, you know, she was never, there was never any proof that she was hands-on on criminal activity. Absolutely never any suggestion. Um, her husband is a different matter, but she, no, I've never found anything to say that she has actively... Uh, um, you know, uh, help drug traffickers remain off the radar or that sort of thing. The only thing that we had proven was Memo Fantasma laundered millions of dollars through this construction. And he still to this day has a lot of offices in the Tower 85 and a lot of the shops at the bottom, and it generates him vast rents every year. How is it that drug lords launder their money through real estate because presumably you can't just pay everyone in cash or can you is it because there's so many laborers and contractors that you can just repurpose your ill-gotten gains that way well there are several there are several um loopholes one is um uh well perhaps the the rather than than get um all um uh technical about this um there are two things that are really useful for a drug trafficker and real estate one is what, which is what Memo did. He um, he buys land, okay, and then he makes a deal with the construction company to say, "I'm going to give you this land, and then you're going to give me 15 offices, 50 parking spaces, and three of the shops." And so the constructor goes, "Okay." So he doesn't appear in the construction. So. You know, when they're building it, Memo Fantasma's name was nowhere because there was just a a deal signed. And we've managed to get it from the, the notary between him and the company to say, we're going to give you this bit of land and you're going to give us the stuff afterwards. So but how that appears from outside is suddenly he is the legal owner of 15 offices, 40 parking spaces and five shops. And it's legal. You know, he hasn't put 50 million in drug money into a bank and into a construction company. He has simply got the titles now of these. So nothing's gone through the bank. Because, you know, if you put $10,000 in a bank, you know, they're supposed to be a red flag. Um, well, of course, in this system, there are no red flags. But he's had to buy the land. He had to buy the land, which he did in his mum's name and the company's name. And it was, you know, he did it over several months yeah. and it didn't raise any any red flags. Um, uh, but he didn't sell that money and then give it to the construction company. And then, no, no, there's this back backdoor deal done. And then the other thing which he, which Memo did is he's the proud owner now of 15 offices. He then pays his drug debts by giving the titles of, tea to the, of these offices to various of his people. So they are now, his drug debts are all paid. No money has changed hands. And the, the people um, have now got a nice shiny title. And of course, what isn't happening is no one's looking at the buying and selling of every property to see if it's dodgy or not. They're just looking at banks. Is, is there money moving around that can't be justified? But if I... Jeremy McDermott give Chris Williams an office, Williamson an office, the, you know, the attorney general and the police aren't really going to look at that, are they? They're just going to see that an office has changed hands. Even though long term, that office might generate half a million pounds a year or something like that. Absolutely. In terms of rent, it is, you know, and, and the rent has to be declared. But that's the beauty of it. Because now he's declaring money that he can Legitimate. then go on to spend. Legitimate yes. money yeah, yeah, that he yeah, can yeah, now yeah. go on to spend. 
And Memo owns many different buildings uh, and properties in Bogota now. And um, we reckon he makes up to $2 million um, a year just from the rents on these properties. Just which is all legit income. Money. Yeah, legit, legit, legit. Spend it on yeah. a car, buy a house with it, go on holiday Absolutely. with it. Well, you know, you can live on $2 million, surely. Chris, well, right? it depends on how many show jumping ponies the the daughter needs. I suppose that that, that is true, but um, I still think you know there's a there's some wiggle room there for a good legit life. Got you. Um, what's happening next? You've got this new set of articles. So there's this first set of articles yep. is on Insight Crime. It'll be linked in the show notes below. If you've enjoyed this story, it goes into so much more depth. You've got all the photos and the scans of the documents. It's an unbelievable read. And now you've got this eighty hours of underworld interviews and all of the next stuff and that's what's coming out next another series of that's, articles that's coming out yeah it'll be another between four and six um articles the reason it's taken so long is the verification and then the other is the money we've really tried to follow the money um and the reason for this chris is that um the drug trafficking is now so far in the past that he could get away with it you know, is there a statute of limitations yes, and stuff like that? There is. If there's not murder involved, there does seem to be a statute of limitations, which is why the DEA turned around to him and said, if you behave yourself for the next 10 years, these indictments will disappear. Um, so uh, on the drug trafficking, um, it looks like there's statute of limitations. Um, the murders are very hard for us to prove. But the money he can't hide. Um, and he has to justify where this $30 million from a guy who's born into nothing in Medellin has come from. And so we think that this is the best way to get him into prison will be where did all this money come from? Because the money laundering, every time that office that he bought with the drug money earns money, it's money laundering. So there's no statute of limitations because he's still earning the money on it. And so we think that's the way, you know, it's Al Capone and the taxes. We think that's the way we'll get him is through the money. It's so crazy. It's so mad to think about how many other people are probably in this situation as well. You know, this is one guy that you've managed to track down. I imagine that there must be many others who've managed to get to his sort of status and it's also such as you know for all that his tactics might be nefarious it's a very admirable uh shrewd business acumen understanding of the world and the way that it works that you can front load your wealth acquisition by trying to get into the position of um distribution as fast as possible that you can make some deals to protect yourself when it happens that you can have the political allies to ensure that you stay free and then once you've front loaded that wealth you move into legitimate business and go quiet having removed your past as fast as possible to then be this ghost of a person for uh, 10 years 15 years let the indictments go with the statute of limitations, come back in, remove the money back into the system, and you are now a relatively functioning member of society with a bunch of legitimate business and status and wealth. Just one thing you missed there is I think he deliberately went into business with people who would protect him. So like when the he husband the of, money, the, of the exactly, vice president. Yeah. I don't think that is coincidence. I think he's thinking, Strategic. how do I tie in yeah. powerful people? I will give them a deal they can't turn down. So he goes to the husband and he says, listen, I'm going to give you this prime real estate at a really good deal. He jumps at it. Of course he jumps at it. But that's it. Now he's tied in and his wife's tied in. And Too we think he's fail. done this. Well, and also, they don't want this to come out. They don't want this to come out. So they are now invested in maintaining his legitimacy and his legal facade. It's brilliant. Don't you think it's brilliant? Yeah. It's a shame that he applied his talents to criminality because, you know, we'd probably be living in a utopia and surfing on Mars if he'd actually managed to apply well, this talent to something a bit more unfortunately. And, you know, I'll put this to you, Chris. You have a choice. You can enter the legal world in Colombia 
where the minimum wage is $2,000 a year and you can go to school and work your way up. Um, and, you know, uh, maybe you will earn uh, $500,000 over the course of your life, okay, which is what the average Colombian gets nowhere near. Or you can move 10 kilos of cocaine just once and you will earn the same amount as you're going to earn in your entire legal existence. Would you take that risk, Chris? Well, I'm a law-abiding citizen. And <laughs> as you well, know, Jeremy, we're both very orderly. Temptation. We're both very orderly <laughs> British fellas. We stick to the rules. Um, yeah, I mean... You can see the temptation. Though. Absolutely. And this also highlights what often gets brought up to do with wealth inequality, right? That when you have these disparities in wealth, when you have some people that have a lot and some people that have none at all, that is one of the um, sparks for crime. And it kind of makes sense if it's so, so much of a grind to make an amount of money that in another, I, I, I imagine that it's not hard to get into drugs if you want to in Colombia or in Mexico still today. Well, it's not hard to get into crime. You okay. know, that's, you know, and then you get into the drug world um, as well. But uh, yeah, the rewards are so high. And what Memo, the reason that Memo Fantasma is such an emblematic figure is that the fact he's still out there shows that the risks are sufficiently low for you to make it worthwhile. And that's the message we have to send is that he can't get away with it. Um, uh, and he has so far. Jeremy McDermott, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to check out more about this, where should they go? Uh, please come to uh, the Insight Crime website. Um, uh, we're a big team of uh, 45 journalists scattered around Latin America and the Caribbean. We do organized crime day in, day out. Please come and visit. Awesome. Thanks so much for today. Cheers, Chris. <laughs>